Hi, and welcome to the Facts and Firearms portion of a Stream for a Better Tomorrow live stream auction benefiting the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. We were super stoked to be a part of this and uh, to have Zach and the guys from PewTubers reach out to us. Uh, as many of you know, we partnered with One-Off Coding to do a one-of-a-kind uh, 9mm PCC that's going to be part of the auction going on this evening. And uh, it's, it's truly something special. We actually talked uh, quite a bit about it on our last full podcast episode. You can find that at Facts and firearms.com slash blog if you want to see my conversation with Zach as well as some information from the good folks at XFOG. But what we're going to do here for our time slot is just kind of give you a background of who we are, what we do, share some of our latest blog stuff, some more uh, kind of informative things, some behind the scenes stuff, as well as share some of the social media content that we like to put out, some fun things, product trailers, goofy stuff, all that kind of jazz. You'll see links to our social media profiles popping up every once in a while and we will just keep this going and I'll pop in every once in a while going all you know Turner classic movies style to get you in between segments so again thanks for joining us what we're going to talk about first is our Warbird visit the Tri-State Warbird Museum also here in Cincinnati we visited them a few weeks ago uh, ahead of the launch of our limited edition Mustang rifle that we modeled after the famous P-51 Mustangs of the World War II era and beyond. And we got to talk with them and take a private tour and uh, hopefully give you a little bit of insight on what it was like to design this one-of-a-kind rifle. And again, also something that Tom from One-Off Coding helped us with. After that, you're going to see uh, a pretty fun Thanksgiving promotion called Spikomite that uh, was produced by our director of marketing a couple of years ago. I think you'll enjoy that. And then I will be back in a few to get you to the next segment. From that came the P-51 Mustang. Um, this is our example. This is a flying airplane restored in-house. Um, so a lot of people call the P-51 Mustang the airplane that won World War II. And the reason for that is it gave us the ability to do long range bomber escort. So we took away a lot of drag from the, from the airframe type like a P-40. And what we did is we being the United States and North American aviation, a much more um, efficient airplane that could go further. So you could, instead of having to turn around two thirds of the way to occupied France and Germany, that the Mustang could escort a, a squadron of bombers all the way to the target and all the way home and keep them safe. This is uh, the, the thing that, you know, we looked at with the Mustang when we were designing ours, which, oh, look, it happens to be sitting right here. <laughs> How about that staging? Uh, we really tried to pay attention to some of the design cues, you know, that, that make the Mustang such a kind of a romanticized, you know, airplane. And like you and I were talking before about how, you know, the, the pinup pictures of the 40s and 50s That's this why was this the machine here. behind it yeah and uh, obviously we love to pay you know homage to you know our locale being in cincinnati this is you know fantastic but the thing where we try to capture was things like the checkerboards and the nose art uh, all the star shields and and the riveting uh, just kind of that uh, the, the the sleek silver that's with it and everything that's just so iconic and it's 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 funny that it's turned to such a romanticized look when really in the design portions this was just 
you needed it to function uh, more than anything. And it ended up being just incredibly attractive. Yeah, I mean, this is what most people would consider ideal looking mid mid or 20th century fighter plane. This is like the just standard thing of what it should look like. And it came out of need more than, than, yeah. than form. Now, it was something you mentioned, but you know, some folks may not know is that you, you guys restore these to actually to fly, like not just be a, a shell that sits in a hangar for people to look at, but you, you actually, you know, hire pilots and fly these things and, and do all that. I mean, what, what goes into keeping something like this up and going to be able to do those things? Well, at its core, we feel like static display aircraft are important. Um, it's important to see what the what they look like, but we feel like that only tells a part of the story. And the sounds and the noise and the smells and the visuals of seeing the airplane in the air—that's the airplane telling its own story on its own. So that's why we feel like it's important to bring them back to life entirely and see them fly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, all three of these fighters that you see here are in-house restorations. Um, so all of them basically came from bare, empty airframes, air, just shells of an airplane that had nothing inside them. We you know, depending on the airplane, rebuilt wings from scratch or and designed from a blank sheet of paper, the entire systems inside the airplane that make it work to a more simplistic version of a restoration where, where all we were doing was taking apart an old thing, cleaning everything back up, painting it, servicing all of the moving parts and pieces, overhauling an engine and putting it back together. Now, you did say that... Um you said it was resident from the 50s to about the 70s. People thought remaining P-51s were kind of just a dime a dozen. And, and then it's only really been in the last 20 or so years that they've become kind of sought after and kind of resurrected, if you will, for, you know, for the sake of history. Yeah. So in World War II, at the end, of when the war was over, these were tools to fight a war that ended. And at that time, they thought that was quote unquote, the war to end all wars. So war machines were superfluous. There was no need for them. They were pushed off of the decks of aircraft carriers in the Pacific. Um, they were left in fields. They were scrapped and melted down into other things. Um, but a lot of them were sold as surplus. In the 70s, you could buy a P-51 Mustang for pennies on the dollar, and that would have been a really good investment back then. Um, but yeah, in the last 30 years or so, um, scarcity and uh, intrinsic value has come back to the point where something you could have bought for $1,500 or $2,000 in the 70s is now worth one and a half to five million, depending on what the airplane is. That's amazing. Here at Facts and Farms, we're all about spending quality time with family and friends. No one wants to spend all day in the kitchen making Thanksgiving dinner. So the team at Facts and Firearms got together with the Spike Mike crew to create the one-shot turkey dinner system. We utilized our expert engineering and manufacturing teams to create a precision payload, packed to cook and serve a full course Thanksgiving meal in just one shot. We simply load the ingredients into our specially designed hopper and utilizing precision burn rate tables and vectoring plates, we've created a system to easily serve up dinner in seconds. Let's do this. Send it.
if you've known Facts and Firearms for a while, you know that we are all about innovation. We are all about uh, coming up with new ways to make sure that people have a good, solid, fun, and steady experience with their firearms journey. And one of those pieces is the muzzlock muzzle devices. Now, this is something that Bob Faxon, one of our co-founders, actually came up with. It was just a problem that he was having with muzzle devices and came up with a really unique solution uh, to have a threaded muzzle device that doesn't need a crush washer. You don't need to go through and do pen and welds or anything like that. This is more of a modular piece, and we've done it in a few different styles. But I'm going to cut to a segment that I filmed with Bob a few months ago, going over the inspiration and how Muzlock started. All right. Well, it's my pleasure to have our very own Bob Faxon with me. And uh, this next piece we're going to talk about is uh, something that's kind of its its whole own family. Uh, Bob, from from right from your head and heart, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The muzzlock device. Uh, could you tell us just about muzzlock and how you came up with the idea and kind of what you were hoping to to accomplish with it? Uh, yeah, that's that's an easy story because uh, you know when you think about things that get invented, you think, well, how how did they get thought of? Why, why did that come around? Well, some could be really great stories like high intellectual thought. Yeah, huge engineering degrees with a lot of letters behind them. This is not that story. This is not that story at all. As a matter of fact, this is something where I was in here on a Saturday years ago in the beginning of the company, and it was a wooden bench in the side of the room upstairs, now the shipping area. And, and that's really what we had is <laughs> that was really the heart and core of facts and firearms at the time. Yeah. And I and the ARAC was the major product. So the ARAC 21 was the gun to have. That was our big flagship in the very beginning. And, and I would go in and test and shoot on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, it was just constant testing, shooting, breaking, fixing. And I was in there putting an ARAC together and we used a muzzle device, which was a break, I think, at the time that we had made in trays. Many, many, many hundreds of them. Well, when you machine these things and you have threads and you have slots and the orientation can be almost identical from part to part. Yeah. So the original ones we made used a standard crush washer like like most do. Right. And so I'm upstairs on a Saturday it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm putting together a gun. I'm heading to the range to test. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a very painful day. <laughs> and uh, so I'm putting this thing together. I want to go test this gun. And I went to tighten the uh, crush washer and the muzzle device on the front of the barrel. And, uh, it was like right past that 12 o'clock. Yeah. I was like, oh man, you know, I said, you know, am I going to get it all the way around? And then you take it off and then you crush that thing and you can't get the washer off. I said, ah, no problem. I have 200 of these things here. Mm -hmm. I've got trays. Yeah. Grab another one. Well, you know, since I've been machining since I was 13 years old, I should know that these threads are pretty much oriented the same. Yeah. And after about the 10th one, I picked up that all clocked at one o'clock with a crush washer. I thought, wow, that's not really cool. But uh, that's what I have. So let's wrench it on. So I had my brand new cherished A-Rack upper. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is my gun. I'm putting this together to test. Cherished gun. And I've got it in the vice really well. Nylon. I'm, I'm doing it right, right? They say I don't. They say I never do anything right, which is probably mostly true. But I was this day. Yeah. So I've got this up there. I'm excited. I'm putting it together. And I go to put this thing around. And I get around about, yeah, from 1 o'clock to about 10, 30, 11 in the timing. And I'm missing a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the I, I promise not to say bad words. So when I got close to where it needed to be, the entire upper popped out of the vise and headed straight for the ground. So I thought, you know, that is never going to beep happen to me again. Yeah. <laughs> 
I didn't say it. Right? <laughs> I put my own beep in. Well, that's good. But here's the deal, man. I, I looked at that and I said, we've had customers where they would complain where a crush washer would get stuck in the thread relief because there's sure. always a groove behind the threads. just what needs to be in every barrel has them. So we looked at it and I said, um, you know, the idea of putting a piece of material in that's disposable, consumable that you need to replace, and especially with some kind of direct thread suppressors, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to have to put a muzzle device on with a vise, and it doesn't have to make a lot of sense to put it on with a crush washer. You might not even be able to get off. Once right. it flattens out, it reduces diameter on the thread relief. So ultimately, I, I think there was a good fundamental reason to make the muzzle lock. But the the funny story is I, I, I dropped a brand new gun and got pissed. Yeah. So, and it, it's a solution to the problem. Yeah. And it was my problem that day. Let me tell you. And it was a big one. I was, I was not happy, but anyway, so, I mean, obviously you know how this works, but just for the camera, I think it's kind of cool. You just use any standard, I think it's a half 28 thread and you put your muzzle device on and because you need to time them. And, and if you go in the field with a direct thread suppressor, which I have some of those too, it's a lot easier to take this on and off with the muzzle lock in the field than it is to try to use a vice and a crush washer. So I don't shoot a hundred percent when I got to shoot a shell of So I don't always shoot with a suppressor. I'll take it on, take it off, do whatever. Okay. And I need, I do that in the field. Mm -hmm. And with the muzzlock, it makes it feasible to do that. So a lot of times, like for example, when I shoot indoors, I don't like using a three-stage break mm -hmm. because it's, it's me. I think we should have named our, our three-stage break, the rude break, you know, or the bad neighbor. Mm -hmm. Because when you're shooting next to people, I have to offer to let them shoot free ammo to make them happy again. <laughs> I've literally, I do use a break inside sometimes. I pull a lot of, and I've, I've shot when people had targets up against it. I've actually had their targets cut in half, uh, yeah. you know, rip. <laughs> and they look over at you at this really great smile. And it's, it's kind of a not, I like you smile. Right. So he said, would you like to shoot a full auto? <laughs> 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 because if I don't make you happy before you leave, the range is not going to like me. Being yeah. Happy. A little bit of a peace off. So right? I was like, uh, here's a few mags. Have some fun. Yeah. And then he's ripping the other guy's target and then he gets to shoot and we're all happy. So both sides get taken care of. Mm. But uh, anyway, when you want to go inside and use a three-stage break, it can be a little bit rude. So putting a flash hider on is really not an abnormal task. The other thing is for people who really care about accuracy, I think we spend a lot of time here at Facts and Firearms to put crowns on the front of barrels and polish them and make them nice. Yet there does tend to be a fair amount of carbon buildup. And if you're not comfortable to take a muzzle device off, you really don't ever get to clean that. Right. So, yeah. you know, does it make a difference? I'm not going to put a graph up here and say it does or doesn't, but I think most people care about details if they're going to do accuracy shooting and right. if they're going to put something on and off. I think easy access to take this off, clean the, clean the, uh, the face of the barrel there, the crown is fine. So anyway, you, you basically take this and you screw it on until you find it coming to a, um, to a stop when the, the, uh, threaded portion, the, the, ex the integral barrel nut, the integral jam nut, I'm sorry, the integral jam nut, when it's all the way up, up against the uh, muzzle device, you just bring it down to it touches. And by the way, just so people know, because I'm the guy that doesn't know this till the last minute and somebody calls me an idiot, this is a left-handed thread on the integral muzzle or the integral jam nut. So gotcha. keep that in mind. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I have an older brother that teases me. So I, I, I'm, an, I'm an abused child. So, <laughs> you know, I have to tell <laughs> other people. You got to lay it out. Yeah, yeah. Let people know how to interact yeah, and take. You know, I, I, I'm not the most mechanical person, to be quite honest with you. So I need these advantages I'm sharing with other people. <laughs> You're probably all smarter than me. But anyway, you put this on, you time it out, you back it up, you put it where you want it, and then you use this and you can adjust it. And then you actually, when you time this, you want the muzzle to be in contact with the integral jam nut prior to where you want it to be. 
Okay. It's probably about five to 10 degrees, depending on how, how tight people get it. But if you set it a little bit prior and then you tighten it down, it'll put the proper pressure. I think there's a designated foot pounds, but I just tighten them over the wrench. And that way, you know, the proper orientation of the muzzle device and it keeps the minimum gap so that you don't see it in there. Because if you look at this, and again, we're talking a lot about a silly thing here, muzzle device, right? No, I mean, I, I, you're, you're talking about something that meets a need and that's something that even though, you know, I helped put the catalog and everything together, I guess I didn't Good even catalog. think. Good thank catalog. You, thank hey, you. Very, finally, I got a catalog. <laughs> thank I love you for it. that. But like, I didn't even think about the cleaning. You know what I mean? The, the cleaning aspect that's why you invited of it, me here. That's if you exactly knew everything, why. I wouldn't have to sit here. Otherwise I'd be like, look at this doohickey. You could put a cardboard cutout and I could sit here like that. And you <laughs> there's could, a, there's you amazing things the we could do with green screen. You could do yeah. all the talking. Don't. Yeah. Don't threaten me like that because you make me nervous. As a matter of fact, I'm not so sure I want to be on this video. <laughs> Who knows what I'm going to have ears or something. Exactly. Kids do that. There's cell phones today. Yes. Yeah, they make you look like anything. That's right. It's terrible. I promise not to edit anything into this segment. Well, with all the power these cell phones have, they made me look like an alpha dwarf or something else. I'm like, damn, put my hair back on. I mean, if you got <laughs> all this capability, put some hair on and take 10 pounds <laughs> off. <laughs> do I mean, something edit, helpful. Right? Anyway, so left-handed thread, integral jam nut. It's really cool. Here's a couple things. A nerd talk. Okay. I always like a little bit of nerd talk because we're supposed to be technical. And do That's good right. right. Indubitably. These products are actually really well engineered and they're meant for really strong purpose and application. The important thing about this, if you look inside this thread, the thread purchase of the actual muzzle device onto the barrel is almost as much or equal to that of a crush washer. And the reason that's important is if you put a jam nut or something that is independent of this, you start spacing the muzzle device out. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we want, again, you want good solid engineering. You want things to be solid, tight, practical, logical. And, and, and it really is because with the integral jam nut, if you look at the back of it, it's very, very thin on the back portion. That's, right. a, that's intentional. That's very similar to a jam nut. So the purchase of the thread to thread interface of the muzzle device to the barrel is as good as if you put it on with a crush washer. So I don't think, honestly, you know, when you talk about guns, I don't think one thing well, you need a hole in the barrel. That's really important. Another bullet won't come out. But True. when you when you talk about guns <laughs> and you talk about performance, I love the discussion because there's passions about different things. So sure. what's important, I think, and when we come up with a whole line of products or we're dealing with barrels and, and, and complete firearms, what really matters, and I, th I think, just my opinion, when, when you take a firearm and you put it together, it's an eclectic group of very small but significant issues. Mm -hmm. that, that's what makes a good gun. I don't think you can take a gun and say, wow, I put a perfect barrel. I put, I put a great barrel in a gun. It's great, but great gun. It's not. It's not a great gun. It takes all the pieces to be great. And when you say what a barrel is good, or if you say what an upper or a bolt carrier or a muzzle device, every piece is important to the system. Right. Right. You can have an F1 car out of the race because an air, air gun locked up. Mm -hmm. Right. All the budget. One air gun can take you out of the race. So when you look at the firearm as a whole, to me, our challenge, our responsibility is to look at all the details. So as much time as we spend on this nerdy little thing, yeah, yeah. it is a component of a system. Right. Right. And, and I've said this a hundred times and I think it's a real serious issue to cover. When we design, build or make things, we, I, uh, I, I can tell you for myself, and I think as a company, we all push the fact that we look for consumer experience. Mm -hmm. And the user experience is what it's all about. So take this stupid little thing that we spent all this time on and say, 
what's it like when you're in the field and you get a crush washer stuck on the end of a barrel and you want to put your suppressor on, you want to do something and this, this won't slide off anymore. Or does it keep you from being able to maintenance your gun like you want or to change so that when you're indoors, you can use a flash hide or outdoors, use a brake. Does it change so that you can put a direct mount suppressor on and off in the field? Those are the moments when you bought our product or a product, anybody's product, you go, that ah, was good. I like it. I have a positive experience. I feel good. Or are you frustrated, upset, or you say, why did they do that? That's stupid, right? Right. How many people said that? So when we look at things, believe it or not, maybe this is a good example of the detail that has to be considered to put a good firearm in somebody's hands. Right. And, and people brag about things in some cases that I think are so insignificant or superficial. But what's important is I, I don't care that positive things get done to guns or that you have a color, a paint, a feature or a detail that's preferable. I think that's great. But you have to have a core, solid core, the, the, the design of every component from our bolt carriers, mm -hmm. especially I think the difference is say the nine millimeters, but the details that go into every component and in the, in the long hours of nerd talk to create an individual product that right. eclectically goes into a firearm is eventually the user experience. Right. So I, maybe this is symbolic because I could sit here and we can have nerd talk over probably every single piece yeah. that's in every single gun we make. For sure. And we could talk about why this radius is there. Yeah. Why this chamfer is there, why this coating less material. So, and, and I always joke, I say, you know, it gets into nerd talk, I guess. So, and some people care, some people don't. Well, and this is a bit of a tease too, because we are finishing up production on this new design of the the flash hider. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, traditionally, we had the uh, the three prong. Obviously, we had the three port brake <laughs> as well, which those are going on the A rack, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, which is uh, a great thing, and and folks really love seeing that it shot. So this is a little teaser. These will be available for you soon uh, in this new uh, flash hider design. Which I also think it looks like it could shoot tiny little fireballs out of here. This thing, I I think the design of this. Is awesome. It, it's not fireballs. It's high-powered laser, but high it, it's a laser. small detail. Sharks yeah, with whatever. laser beams on their it's, foreheads. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's new stuff. Can't talk about it. <laughs> okay. But you know, you brought this out as this is a new design. One of the things that we've seen in the past is we've had what I think is a great feature, mm -hmm. but we've been a little deficit in the actual product. Right? We got so excited about this interface and this technical aspect that we didn't, as a company, have a desirable enough line of designs for the effect itself. Sure. So I think. Always work on the core first mm -hmm. and then put the preferential aspects of brakes and flash hiders in second. So I think we're building on a good platform. I think the user will like it. I think it's a great experience. So fantastic. Bob, thank you so much for taking some time for us. And uh, you know where we are. So we'll have you again. I, I think I know where you're at. <laughs> if, if I'm allowed.
One of the most popular items that we launched in 2019 were our integral barrels. Now, some of you may have seen these already, but the whole idea is we know that a lot of people have to maintain their 16-inch minimum barrel length. And when you get into different states and different laws and things like that, sometimes you can't have threaded barrels or sometimes you don't have access to a good gunsmith to get you all set up for a nice pin and weld on your barrel. And so we decided to hit the market with something we like to call our integral muzzle device barrels. Basically, these are all one piece. Whether it's a 5.56 or a 9mm, we have a couple of different designs that allow you to get to your 16-inch minimum barrel length requirement without having to add on that muzzle device at the end. This has been a crowd favorite. It uh, went over really well at SHOT Show this year as well. And I have our Director of Product Management, Jay Wilson, who's going to walk us through a little bit about what the integral barrels are all about. And Jay, right next to you is one of our integral barrels. Yeah. And so we launched these fourth quarter of 2019. I, I believe before I was here, we announced that we were going to be making them, right? Yeah. At like SHOT Show 2019 or something. I think it was NRA Show 2019. Okay. So the thing about the integral barrels that we've been noticing is, number one, as soon as they went on our website for retail sale, I mean, in the first weekend, like we, we released them like a Friday afternoon. And before the weekend was over, like three SKUs were sold out. And so we've, you know, re-upped our stock and everything. So that as we're recording this, they are in stock. We have them available for 5.56 and uh, 9mm PCC. But there's been kind of like a conversation of a lot of people going, oh my God, I've needed this. This is so great. And then there's still a lot of people like just asking why, you know, why do they exist? What is the, you know, what is kind of the perks or maybe the downfalls? What could you do with them? Uh, so Jay, if you want to mind getting into real quick, what I think is probably the the biggest piece is the how it helps people get to their minimum barrel length requirement, um, you know, before the before the muzzle device. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the target market on these is people who are looking for uh, the shortest uh, barreled rifle they can legally build. And, you know, this is a solution for that. You know, this is a 14 and a half inch of rifled barrel with an additional inch and a half of muzzle device on the end. Yeah. You know, taking them to that 16 inch legal limit. The other piece that I think has been great about the Integral line is it's found its way with the lightweight folks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for the 5.56, five, and I'll hold, hold this up here. This is the gunner profile, I believe, of the 5.56, five, yeah. but uh, with a three-port break. But, you know, our pencil barrels have always been known as being some of the lightest and yet still most stable things on the market. But the lightweight crowd, like the fact that they don't have to do a threaded muzzle device and the fact that they don't have to do a pin and weld, uh, it's shaved. Like when you're counting down to individual grams. yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So there, it has been found uh, found for that. And then we made the decision to put the integral pencil on our ion ultralight. Yeah. Yeah, we had been using a pin and weld barrel, but we replaced it with these. You know, the, the integral line is uh, replacing our entire pin and weld line. Yeah. And I mean, with the integral line, like some so when we first launched it, I remember some people were like, well, will the gas block fit over it? Wouldn't that be silly? 
<laughs> if we released a line of barrels with integral muscle devices and the gas blocks didn't fit, that'd be silly. Yeah. We promised the gas blocks fit. Um, so that's number one. And number two, we, we have been asked, are we going to do other calibers? Are we going to do other profiles and things? And, and Jay, something I hear you say a lot when we talk about product is, you know, we, we gauge market demand. Yeah. It's, it's all about market and customer demand. You know, I mean, we're open to, uh, all sorts of expansions of product line or, or new product line, but, um, there has to be a demand for it. You know, yeah. we have to have customers writing in about it. We have to hear that the market as a whole can support it. So, yeah, for sure. So the last question about integral barrels that we get a lot, uh, and sometimes on a, on a Facebook or Instagram comment, it'll just say, uh, it'll just say suppressor question mark. Um, what's yeah no, no i mean it's it's a muzzle device integral to the barrel without threads uh this is not you know a, a piece for uh a crowd that wants to run suppressor you know we have we have a lot of options that are we have yeah. a lot of different skews uh different barrel lengths caliber options that will be great on your suppressed build this isn't it you know nice feature about it is you know, because it's integral, this this doesn't uh, you know get into any of the you know the ambiguous statements on the ATF about you know how to how to pin and weld. Yeah. You know, the the ATF covers uh, a lot of methods on how to permanently attach a muzzle device. You know, but they don't lay out any rules on how to test that, how to verify that, and you know the fact that this is integral to the barrel itself. Um, you know, really eliminates all of that ambiguity. You know, there is no testing if your if your weld is good enough. You know, yeah. is there a pin in there? Did the silver solder take? You know, there's, you know, the the ATF lays out some some ways you might attach them, mm -hmm. but is uh, really not <laughs> forthcoming in you know how you can verify that. And so, um, you know, one of the nice things about that is is it just eliminates all of that. So I guess that's really kind of the, the three things that really helps alleviate some tension for somebody who's interested in a in one of our integral barrels because we've now brought up uh, minimum barrel length. Yeah. We've brought up uh, lightweight for the folks who dig lightweight and want to shave grams. And also, like you were saying, the, the ambiguity of the rules of the pin and weld, you know, on a government level. Yeah. Right. And so also, too, I mean, I'm sure you could find as many fail videos on YouTube as you want of muzzle devices blowing off and all that kind of junk. That's not going to happen here on the engineering side. Like, how does this come in? How does this start? I mean, this starts as just like raw steel yeah, stock, it's, like it's we always just, get, right? It's all just bar steel stock. Yeah. And so and again, this there's no seam. You know, there's nothing that you could see here that would, you know, make anybody question whether or not it's integral. I mean, it is obviously as you look through the profile, that is all all just one piece. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's going to be no uh, uncomfortable taking it out of the range and, you know, hoping that, you know, anybody who sees it understands that that's a weld spot on the bottom of it. You know, yeah. and this is permanently attached. And no, I don't have, you know, an illegal short barreled rifle. You know, this is this is integral to it. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's a fear I've always had at, at ranges, you know, with, with a short barreled rifle. Uh, I mean, with a, you know, pin and weld barreled rifle is, yeah. you know, Hey, this is permanently attached, you know, yeah. if I did, 
you know, grind over the weld spot and, you know, put some re-black on it, you know. Just to make it look nicer. Right, you know, it's sort of an uncomfortable feeling, you know, wanting to make sure that, you know, nobody thinks that you have an illegal short barrel rifle. Yeah, for sure. I'd be way more comfortable if I had some snacks. (laughs) You could grab some snacks. (laughs) You have Japanese Kit Kats? Those are going to be given out to everyone at some point in time later. Along with that other bag of uh, toys. Toys? What is this? Yeah, it's like Chinese pepperoni. Chinese pepperoni? No, I don't, I don't <laughs> want these Chinese pepperonis. I'm, I'm just being facetious about something. <laughs> Back in episode 14 of our Facts and Blog and Podcast, which again, we post new episodes every week. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, or you can check them out on YouTube, Facebook Watch, and IGTV. But in episode 14, we actually got to talk to Tom from One-Off Coding LLC about the Mustang rifle that we mentioned earlier. The very cool thing about working with Tom is that he's always willing to give time and insight on how he takes our renderings and our ideas, our designs, and brings them to life, whether it be with Cerakoting or lasering or both. And it's also very cool for us that he's just up the road in Dayton uh, and has done some wonderful work for us with the Nautilus rifle, the Mustang, and obviously this PCC that is up for auction this evening. After you hear from Tom, you're going to see uh, one of our more fun segments that was used as a promotional item a couple of years ago. A little uh, Mythbusters meets a haunted house kind of deal. A little Halloween themed of uh, Facts and Goes Ghost Hunting. So make sure you stick around for that. So just like you said, you know, I try my best to give you a Photoshop rendering of kind of what what we're looking at and such and and what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, with the Nautilus rifle was kind of our first step into the whole limited edition thematic build type thing. So we, we started small, if you will. We just wanted something that was going to be attractive and and something that was going to pay homage to the Navy um, using that blue and gold, using, um, you know, the anchor engraving and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was a, a, a lot of fun to do. But then when we moved to doing the Mustang, you know, part of what people recall when they think of a P-51 Mustang is is going to be things like nose art, things like the checkerboard, yeah. things like, you know, the the brushed steel aluminum look um you know when when these designs come to you i mean you've got to physically you know it's not like direct to garment printing where you know you just like plug it in and it goes for you you actually have to hand stencil these things am i correct correct so um like with the mustang build uh we actually utilized the laser as well as stenciling which is one of the really cool things that we can offer with a laser um, but you know, your the shark mouth on the front, uh, the checkerboard and the striping was all done by hand, um, you know, laid out with high temp vinyl. So basically we're spraying a color, uh, go through, lay out your stencils, spray colors over top, you know, remove the stencils to show what's underneath. Um, for the stars on the receivers, as well as the Mustang emblems on those, um, we were actually able to go in and lay down a base color of that blue and then come in and lay the top color over top 
and use the laser um, to just remove that top color to expose the blue underneath. So doing that, you're able to get a really, really crisp engraving. Sometimes, you know, with stencils, it might not be exactly perfect when you're trying to get that level of detail, like with the letters in Mustang. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to use the laser, um, one, it makes it a little bit quicker on our end. And two, you can get that really nice, um, I guess just more of a finished look on those really fine details. Yeah, that was something that, that you had brought up when we were working on these and something that, you know, in my first renderings, I wasn't even thinking about was the idea that you could you know, do a coat of the Cerakoting color and then laser it to kind of pop a secondary color or things like that. And like you said, put on, put on the fine edges, um, yeah. uh, for the design. Now, one thing that really, you know, caught the eye of folks around here when I was showing them, you know, our first build that we were taking photos and things for and doing the product photos for is the, uh, lasering that you did to make the, the rivet design, um, which I thought was, uh, you know, just adds a whole other level and texture, uh, uh to the gun. Uh, what, what goes through, through that process when you're, when you're programming a laser, cause this continues, you know, it's not like it's a billet type thing where you have just the rivets on just the handguard or just the upper or something. This is a continued process that goes through all three pieces. How, I mean, how, how do you line that up and mark that up? How does that work? Yeah, sure. So, um, that was our first time doing the, uh, adding the rivets and the paneling into a theme like that. Um, we actually started out by, uh, literally just going on like Google image search and looking at some different, uh, you know, we look at some P-51 Mustangs and just some other airplanes from that era. And we were able to go in and basically draw up the paneling and the rivets to look similar to basically how the panels go together on the actual planes. Um, from then, we were able to go into our design software and basically lay out a large grid of that pattern. And, you know, we we're able to size that um, proportionally to the receiver set so we can lay the receiver set in and basically burn that pattern right over top of it. And then with the rail, we're able to come in and, you know, we'll, we use a jig and we just get it where that pattern meshes with the upper and lower, you know, where it lines up really nice. Um, and it, that can be a little bit difficult getting them to line up really well. Um, the other challenge with that is the laser will only do an eight by eight square. So, you know, your receiver set is fine. You can do the whole thing at once, but on the rails that we did, which were, I think 15 inch rails. Mm -hmm. So that 15 inch rail actually has two different sections of lasering on it to achieve that look. So, um, you know, we're literally doing half the rail, moving it over and making sure we get it lined back up in the laser. So it's a nice continuous pattern. Yeah, I think that when you're talking about all the detail, I mean, it, it, there's so much that goes into it from a design aspect, you know, even even for me being, you know, a digital media producer, you know, when you're looking at a gun and you're trying to make a particular look that's already been established, right? An iconic look like yeah. the Mustang or like those other, you know, uh, you know, early forties, world war two era airplanes, you know, you're taking lines 
that are not necessarily originally complementary to a gun. You know, you think right. of like the, you know, the magwell, you know, there's a bit of an angle that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily see replicated in, in an airplane and things like that. So trying to make the, all those pieces come together and get the colors right, because that's the same thing I had to do. I had to get on you know, Google image search and Pixabay and the Library of Congress website and pull up all these old photos and go, okay, like where did they normally put the checkerboarding and where were the, the, you know, the star banners going and what different ways did they do the mouth? Because there's no one way <laughs> to do right. the mouth. I know that when we were working on the first round of the Mustangs, you know, we had to play with that eye placement, you know, where is it going and to, uh, on the handguard that isn't going to be eaten up by a block, um, you know, right. eaten up by a gap filled in. So those are all, um, you know, those could all be kind of, uh, uh, challenging pieces, especially when you're trying to replicate a design that's already beloved, yeah, you know? Absolutely. It's definitely challenging. I mean, like you mentioned with the rail, just all the open spaces, you know, on a Mustang, on an actual Mustang, it's, basically just a blank canvas so they could do anything they needed. We definitely had some, you know, some design stuff that we had to work around with that. But yeah. I think we, I, I definitely think we pulled it off. It definitely looks, uh, looks like a nice rifle. So. Oh, for sure. You know, we love it and uh, we're really excited to to get them launched. We're going to be putting out some more uh, teaser material and as well as, you know, some specs and things that you could check out um, as we move forward towards the launch date. Uh, this this is episode of Ghost Finders, we're here with the Faxon Firearms crew in Eastern Kentucky investigating a haunted frontier cabin hidden in plain sight. I'm your host, Brack Zaggins, and we're going to find the truth about this old Kentucky home. So, before we get too deep into the belly of the beast, let me introduce our guest ghost finder for Facts and Firearms. This is Noah. He's a cross-functional team leader. Thanks for having us out. I'm excited to be here. I've never done any ghost hunting before, but this is my first time. I'm ready to go. Just chug my Mountain Dew. Let's go find some ghosts. Let's do this. Come on. So legend has it that this is an old frontier log cabin from the early 1800s and the last homeowners in the 1990s built the modern house over top of the old log cabin. And as you can see guys, they left in a hurry, no doubt because of unsettled spirits. Ew. <laughs> I don't know. Pretty nasty. Uh, looks like we got a lot of jars going on. A lot of questionable substances. Um, ew. Ew. Oh, oh. Oh. Ew. Oh my god. Okay guys, so the lore is that this was an old pioneer house and the settlers came- Ew! What? Ew! What did you find? What is that? Ew! Brains! That's disgusting! 
Oh my god. I don't... Did you guys hear that? Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's gotta be a ghost. Oh. Let's go. Come on, guys. Come on, oh. come on. Come on. Come on. Let's go upstairs. Oh god. I don't know what's happening. Clearly, guys, that had to be a ghost. Hello? If there's any spirits up here, we just want to talk. I don't know if you can hear us. Don't hurt us. you to do I need you to go in there mm. by yourself mm -mm. oh yeah you got nope. this buddy nope. go in there by yourself nope. yeah nope. and talk to the ghost give me a gun you don't get a gun why uh, uh, it's a ghost yeah 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 no. you got no, this buddy ah. go on get in there get in there go on <laughs> Even if you've just discovered Facts and Firearms, it is not a secret that we love to support our law enforcement and military communities as well as first responders in general. And one of the ways we do that is through our Guardian Purchase Program. Now, if you've subscribed to our podcast and you've watched it more than once, you've probably seen that we tack on this tutorial video at the end of every episode, but we want to continually and consistently get the word out there to know that there are special perks and pricing available to our beloved guardians all year long at factsandfirearms.com. We want to extend our deepest gratitude to military, police, first responders, and more by saying thank you with special pricing and discounts on all facts and products. Here's how you get started. 
First, you'll head on over to our website, factsandfirearms.com. From there, you'll want to click Support and Guardian Purchase Program in the drop-down. Then you'll see the instructions on how to get started, so let's just walk through those. First, you'll want to register for an account on our website. If you've already bought something from us on our website before, then this part's already taken care of. Second, you'll want to send a copy of your credentials or some reasonable verification of affiliation to customer service at factionfirearms.com. We get a lot of emails where people are like, hey, will this count, will this ID count, will this VA card count? Chances are yes, a lot of them will count, but make sure you attach an image or a copy of that verification to the email before you even ask customer service. That way they can expedite the process for you. As soon as the account has been created or updated, we will send you an email letting you know that you're ready to go. The discount will be available anytime online when you go to your shopping cart. If you have any more questions, please email customer service at factsandfirearms.com. Our last main segment today is going to be from back on episode eight of the Facts and Blogging podcast. I had our director of marketing, Pat Murphy, on with me to talk about the pinned gas block barrels that we offer at factsandfirearms.com. Now, a lot of you know that uh, people have different ways that they like to have their gas blocks set. Uh, they like to dimple or they like to just use set screws or what have you. But just like with the integral barrels, when it came to pin and welding, muzzle devices and things. We know that some people just want things ready to go out of the box. So we decided to come up with pre-packaged SKUs of pinned gas block barrels. So these things are already drilled. They have your set screws, your Allen key, everything you need to get a pinned gas block on your barrel right out of the bag. Let's go to our conversation with Pat. But the other thing that we teased at SHOT Show uh, are the, what I have you talking about today are pin gas block barrels. So for those who don't know kind of why someone would pin a gas block to their barrel, before we get into our product, would you just talk a little bit about why someone would want to pin a gas block rather than just using the set screws or another method? Um, I, I think the, the leading reason is uh, durability and peace of mind. Um, there's, you know, there's a few different methods for attaching gas blocks. There's clamp-on style, there's set screws, there's two, even two-piece ones out there. Um, 
and what you see most commonly is set screws. Um, but there, there are a lot of people who, especially if your barrel isn't dimpled, they're, they're, they don't fully trust the set screws. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the pin, the cross pin adds an extra level of security. You know, if you're, you're shooting high round count or, um, you know, a, a high schedule of fire, there's a possibility that, you know, maybe you forgot to put Loctite on your, on your set screws on your gas block and you have set screws start work, walking their way out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, screws can do that. Absolutely. So, you know, the possibility of a screw backing out and all of a sudden your gas block, uh, shifts and, and isn't over the gas port properly. And all of a sudden your gun's dead, you know, your right. gun stops working. So, um, it's definitely, it's really number one primary purpose is, you know, that added level of security. Um, of having both the set screws and a cross pin so that your your gas block cannot shift. And so what's the traditional way of going about that? So say somebody wanted to pin their gas block. Um, obviously, barrels don't necessarily, you know, until we talk about ours, you know, if somebody just buys kind of a stock barrel and a stock gas block, I mean, they, they, unless they have the tools for it at home to be able to do the cross pin groove, uh, the notching, I mean, they got to send it out to a local shop or a gunsmith or something of that variety. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's previously been the way you could do it. Um, there's been barrel companies that have offered it as kind of a service. Um, for us, it really wasn't a great fit to do a kind of after the fact service. Um, because it really disrupts the flow of parts and adds a lot of time and, and, and time equals cost. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, for us being in a production environment and trying to keep parts moving smoothly, it didn't make a lot of sense to do as a service. So, you know, if someone really wanted one of our barrels, they'd have to buy it, buy a gas block and send it to a gunsmith. And, and the, the tricky part of gunsmith is, there's a lot of really talented, really skilled, um, well-respected gunsmiths. And then there's also guys who just are a gunsmith because they had some business cards made yeah. um, <laughs> and they may not know what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. You're talking about drilling into the surface of a barrel. You have to be very careful not to go too deep, especially when you're looking at lightweight barrels. You can make that sidewall very thin. You could screw up harmonics. So now, you know, your groups are all over the place. Um, so there's, there's a lot of factors and it was not always something someone could acquire easily. Um, you know, especially if they didn't have somebody that they knew and trusted to basically drill into their barrel. Yeah. And, you know, when I was getting ready for like getting the product pages and everything together for our barrels, which I'll pull out here in just a moment. I looked at some forums, just some different shooting forums to just kind of to see what other people are talking about when they're asking questions about uh, pinning gas blocks. And a lot of people were talking about, you know, uh, just the additional cost. They, everybody was like, okay, well, well, how much does it cost? Like how much does a gunsmith, you know, charge to do a service like that and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, it ranged everywhere from like 25 to like 125. I mean, it was kind of all over the place on how much it would cost. Because like you said, you have a, a 
kind of a grab bag of experience levels and professionalism levels. And, you know, is this a legitimate shop or some dude in his basement who's like, yeah, I got a vice and a drill. I think I could, I think I could handle that. But this is uh, one of ours and I'll throw up some uh, prettier images since this will be a little hard to see on the webcam. Um, but this is one of our pinned gas block barrels. Now this is one of our gunner profiles. So if you are uh, familiar with our proprietary gunner profile that kind of mixes the best of both worlds from the pencil and the SOCOM. But this is basically how it ships. It ships with the barrel, the gas block uh, with the set screws hand tightened on. Um, as well as the cross pin. But what you'll notice, and we'll show you uh, a larger image of this, is the fact that the notch is already there. So you can see that um, you know it's done well, it's not chewed up, it's not biting into your finish. Obviously, we know that it isn't too far uh, you know, into the sidewall that it would cause any sort of uh, malfunction or issue. Um, but you know, how does this how do we do this? And as far as like machining is concerned, like where does this happen in our process? Uh, kind of how, how do we get there? So that happens right after the gas port is drilled and the barrel, um, the receiver extension pin is drilled and pressed in. So the gas port and extension pin, which is the little silver or black pin that slides into that notch of your upper receiver, um, those two things are done at the same time because they need to be perfectly in line with each other um, so that you're not having where your barrel is your gas port slightly off center and now your gas block has to sit off center and it, it causes all kinds of issues. So those two operations are done at the same time. And then right after that, we notch the barrels in, in production in one of our mills. Um, we've got dedicated fixtures built for it. So that indexes off of that pin location and the gas port location so that you know that notch is in the proper location to line up with the pre-drilled holes that are in the gas block. Yeah, so this is like coming at it as it's coming together, you know, and then it hits our QC again before it's done anyway, you yeah. know, so it's it's not like... Uh, you know, taking, and I, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to poo-poo talented gunsmiths who do this all the time and there's no problem. But for people who are just getting into it or who might be a little nervous about it, I mean, this, this thing's going to go through our normal QC even after that notch is done. Uh, you know, and it's done in one of our mills, like you said, with dedicated fixtures. It's not being thrown in a vise and drilled with a hand drill or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And if and if you um, if someone decides to do it at home and feels like they have the the right tools to do it, if that notch is not drilled in the correct location, your gas block's not going to sit centered. It's going to be off slightly, and that can cause functioning issues. And if it if it's off at such an angle that when you have the gas block pinned, that the gun won't cycle because the gas port's not aligning with the um, gas port in the gas block. Um, if, if that's not working, then basically scrap that barrel or you have to accept that you're not going to be able to use a pin gas block. Yeah. So, you know, if you get to that point and, and someone's trying to do it on their own and, and they're really dead set on, I want this gas block pinned to this barrel. If it's not done properly, that, that barrel's trashed. Um, yeah. You know, like you said, it still go. All of these go through our normal QC processes. So, in the unlikely occasion where 
we mess something up that's still covered by our guarantee, you know, we're going to hundred absolutely replace it. Um, no, no matter what. So you have that assurance where you don't have that if you're having someone else do it or you're trying to do it yourself. Once again, thank you for joining us for this portion of the live stream. Again, we want to thank PewTubers. We want to thank all the folks who are helping make sure that the good folks, the doctors, the nurses, all the medical personnel over at Cincinnati Children's Medical Center are getting the PPE and anti-fog supplies that they need. If you want to learn more about us, please visit factsandfirearms.com.